Welcome to Thank the Maker. We are broadcasting live from the top of Bush House Southeast in the heart of London. And uh, today we've got a really special guest. We've got Eliza Hatch, um, founder, creator of Cheer Up Love here in the studio today. Um, so we'll be talking with her over the next hour about creativity, um, what the project's all about, and really anything else that comes up. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back with you in just a moment. Welcome back. Uh, good morning to Eliza. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, and also in the studio, for the first time ever, we've got Clements, yeah. our producer. That's me. Hi. Yeah. Good morning. How are good morning, you doing? Everyone. I'm, I'm doing great. Awesome. <laughs> um, so Eliza, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, how are you doing this morning? How, how was your commute here? Just yeah, to start there. It was good. It was yeah. good. Been pretty busy. Got back from Bristol last night. Brilliant. I've been kind of all over the place. Yeah. You're, are you doing like a university <laughs> tour right kind now? Kind of. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back um, in the UK for like a week and like two weeks. So I've been doing a kind of university speaking tour. Right. Um, obviously, it's like International Women's Day and month. And so I've been speaking to lots of different universities about my work with Cheer Up Love um so yeah it's been busy amazing and probably yeah probably tiring too like are, are you speaking every day to different people are you doing q and a's like yeah lots of different things i've been um going into some small classes and doing kind of seminar type amazing. work and then i've been doing uh speaking to like feminist societies and then last night was more of sort of like an event with a you know stage mic keynote the whole the whole shebang fantastic um yeah. so and then i'm doing like panels and live podcasts so it's all just really different and kind of interesting and yeah keeps me uh and you were based out of london for a period of time is that correct yeah or? yeah i'm from london okay. i grew up in london um and i lived in london yeah for like 24 years yeah. well, no apart from going to university in brighton but <laughs> i moved to new york now. what did you study at brighton where did i study what, what what did you study um, what was your... i studied illustration and graphics which is not what I do now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a really broad course. It was more kind of like a visual communications course. Uh -huh. So I could do anything I liked, really. It was like, you know, illustrate this in any way you can, whether that's like film, print, media, set design. So I ended up doing, you know, photography and set design and all of that kind of stuff. And, Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, before we get too much farther into it, um, if I could ask that you give like an introduction to Cheer Up Love and kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, because it took me a minute to figure out what it was because I don't, I, I, it's title on its own. I love it and the story kind of behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes some revealing. So if you wouldn't mind in your own words, yeah, totally. what is the project? Um, so Cheer Up Love is a first journalism campaign that I began in January 2017 uh -huh. that retells women's accounts of sexual harassment. Um, I called the project Cheer Up Love because of a comment that was made to me um, one day when a man walked past me and told me to cheer up. It wasn't the first time I'd heard that phrase. I'd been told to smile or I'd look so much prettier if I smiled or cheer up or, you know, all of those kind of things. I'd heard it many, right. many times before. So it was kind of like a catalyst to get me questioning all of the kind of things that a woman can experience on like a daily basis and just brush off and ignore. Um, and to be clear, because I've had so many people like comment about this, um, mm -hmm. it's not just a project about being called, like, told to cheer up. Right. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's kind of showing a scale of all of the things. Mm -hmm. So the stories that I retell um, all happen in a public place and range any from anything from being told to, to smile to being followed home to being catcalled to being touched up in a nightclub mm -hmm. like you know the list goes on 
Um, so it really in, it's like it encompasses a broad spectrum of yeah. things. Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I read some comments somewhere in some article about how kind of starting at that level makes it really unifying because everybody's experienced that yeah, level. Totally, totally. Um, and that's also one of the, the the funny things about it is that when I started the project and I started asking people to be involved to share stories I initially began with just speaking to my close friends mm. and just kind of asking about their experiences and then the, when I started asking that question I found a lot of people saying like oh you know I don't think anything that bad's have happened to yeah. me or oh you know I, I don't think I could share I can share anything I don't think it's serious enough um, and then to that I would say well you know has anybody ever you know catcalled you or like beeped mm. their car horn at you or shout or something obscene around moving vehicle or touched you without your consent or a bar or in a club or you know just made you feel sexually vulnerable or uncomfortable in a public space and then every single person will be like oh yeah well like every day like constantly um you know i just didn't think that that counted yeah so then i would have to be like yes that counts that shouldn't be happening Yeah. yeah yeah of course. And and how does how does the project manifest? Because I know you have your Instagram account, but you've mm-hmm. also got your website mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've got exhibitions and other things. What What is you tell these stories, you take these photos, but like what is the. Product, yeah. If you yeah. Will? So the process of what I do is that I interview um, the woman about her experience and mm-hmm. then we meet in a place that's relevant to her story. Um, whether that place is like a basically we visit the place that she was harassed mm-hmm. whether that's a bus stop a train carriage a busy street a marketplace like anywhere um and then we use that location as a stage for her to speak out about her experience um it all depends which on the story and the person i'm meeting obviously going back to the exact same place can be triggering for some people mm-hmm. so if it's just like a similar location or you know we meet in the middle and do something that's just going to make you know the woman I'm photographing feel comfortable right so it's a process and it's different with every person but ultimately the um um the project is about revisiting the place that that person was harassed yeah and then after I take the photograph um I post it on Instagram Mm -hmm. and my website and then since then the project has branched off into workshops and exhibitions and lectures and all sorts of things right yeah it's a fantastic project and and like an awesome uh, kind of safe space on one hand for women to share these experiences, but also it's like a really cool tool to engage and like share these stories on a broader platform. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question. How do you, how do you balance that? Right. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at the Instagram uh, account, mm-hmm. you see in the comments, so many comments that are like, Oh my God, same thing happened to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for speaking out. Um, but what you don't see so many comments are is like, uh, at least in, in my brief overview, and it's probably just the nature of it. Are people kind of engaging across, um, like in a dialogue, so to speak? Yeah. Um, so I guess how do you, yeah, how do you balance creating a safe space versus engaging people that might not be aware yeah. of these sort of happenstances? No, I am quite aware sometimes that I'm like sort of you know shouting into a, yeah, I, a I, bubble of people who are all agreeing. I guess that's the crux of it. Is um, like how do you break out of that bubble? Yeah, it's interesting because every time I do you break out of that bubble it's quite scary <laughs> yeah yeah no i i was looking no, at a bbc interview oh, and i don't looked get at me the started comments don't get me started on insane. the on the bbc yeah um yeah so when on the when the projects first started generating press about mm-hmm. you know a couple of years ago um i would get you know hundreds and hundreds of messages from from women and mm-hmm. men um alike and lots of women sharing their stories lots of men you know, I've, I've a huge range of things. I've had men calling me a, you know, witch, feminine, Nazi, man-hating, mm-hmm. whatever. I've also had men apologizing for their past behavior in email. I've had fathers concerned about their daughters emailing mm-hmm. me. I've had all kind, all sorts. Um, I've had backlash, obviously. I've had women, you know, messaging me saying like, oh, you know, this this happened in my day, and but you know, just got to stiff off a lip and this isn't the worst of our problems and do something better with your time kind of vibe. Mm. Um, and then, but the, like, thankfully on my, um, my Instagram, it's kind of like a sort of safe haven space where it's all very positive and the messages I get are very positive, encouraging. Right. And it is just a lot of fun of like women finding solidarity with, with one another. And also, you know, a fair load of men as well mm-hmm. being kind of like educated and being allies and all of that. But, as soon as there's any form of like 
large scale press like the BBC mm. feature, for instance, I just don't read the comments anymore because it's Fair they're enough. they yeah. are quite harrowing. Even like the few that managed to slip through and the private messages that I got from that, I was just like, oh, God. (laughs) My question is, what do you think that speaks to? Because like, and and, and I think this is a common trend in in what you've reported on is in circles of men, like we don't see this, this side of women's experiences. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like common comment is like, wow, I never knew this occurred. Like yeah. what? Um, so I guess the question is like, how, like, how do you take back control of this narrative mm-hmm. and, and kind of inform men and, and get them involved in the conversation, but also like, I don't even like, how, where does this come from? I guess, um, th- these are a bunch of random questions, but yeah. wh- why, why are these comments like this? I guess let's start there. Wh- why do, why are there so many comments when I it goes public? guess because of the kind of sensationalized clickbaity, yeah. um, way it's presented and the way, because I think that, I think the title of my project is quite provoking mm-hmm. because it's instantly men feel attacked i think even though it's not supposed to be attacked and it's not an attack and it was never it's never about blaming men my project's just about sharing stories of women right you know? it's yeah. not it's got i got absolutely not picking a bone <laughs> yeah. i'm going to just raise awareness right right um but i think something about the name cheer up love and me telling my story about how that triggered the whole thing i think some people find it like an attack on them in this way that's like, oh, well, can I not flirt anymore? Yeah, and yeah. Is this, is this like, why can't you take a compliment? And I think a lot of people feel threatened maybe by yeah. the fact that... So how do you how do you combat that narrative? Or do you even see that as your role? I mean, I get that quite a lot anyway with like men I speak to in my mm. person, in my day-to-day life being like, oh, well, you know, well, this is this just the, the death of, you know, chivalry and mm. are we not allowed to hold doors open for women anymore? And I'm like... You know, holding the door open for a woman is very different from sla- than slapping her on the ass. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. those are, if you can't fundamentally see the difference between those two things, then I think that is the key problem. Right. Here. Um, but yeah, I've I've had many many comments of people being kind of like, well, you know, is this going to be the death of fl- flirting? And can you not just speak to someone in, in the public anymore or any mm. of that? And I'm like, of course you can speak to people in public. Of course you can flirt. Of course you can have interactions with other people. Just mm. do it in a respectful way. It's got nothing to do. It's not about closing down the lines of communication between the genders. It's yeah. not about being like, oh, women do not want to be spoken to by men anymore. It's women do not want to be harassed, right. which are fundamentally like very different things. Um, and it's just about, I guess, educating on where that line is and the difference between wanted and unwanted attention. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really key kind of pivotal point. And I haven't really even thought about it through that frame as well. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, one uh, cool project that I was reading about kind of a, a spinoff of cheer up love. And I think you're doing it in other places now too, is your experience in Sri Lanka. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, totally. So in <clears throat> 2018, I was mm-hmm. approached by the United Nations Population Fund. Um, and they are a branch of the United Nations who deal with kind of like called gender-based uh, violence and issues towards women in uh, developing countries. And I think just any country actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically they did a study in 2017 and found that 90% of women experience sexual harassment on public transport in Sri Lanka with only 4% ever reporting it to the authorities. And this number was, you know, so staggering that it's affecting the economy. Women were not wanting to go to work or were going to work two hours late to avoid rush hour just because of the harassment, you know, was so bad. And for a lot of women, you know, public transport is the main and only kind of, um, form of transport yeah. that you can get because, you know, having a your own car or a private car is extremely rare and it's expensive and you have to rely on a man, obviously. So, um, well, not obviously, but like in Sri Lanka, right. it is right. more often than not a man who will be the owner of like a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually brings me to an interesting question. So when you go abroad and go to countries that are like non-Western rooted in their yeah. ideology, how do you balance kind of your, this, activist uh movement that you want to bring about with kind of uh i'm sure some people would cast it as like western imperialist you're coming in with your western views and Mm. imposing it on 
Uh, I'm not saying that you're doing that, but like, how do you how do you be cognizant of that? No, I, I felt very conscious of that totally when I was doing the project mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka. I didn't want to just be this because there was obviously like a me, the Me Too movement was happening all around right, the world. Yeah. Hadn't reached Sri Lanka yet. Don't think it's going to like uh-huh. incredibly soon. But um, the notion of you know speaking out about sexual harassment and any kind of gender based violence and stuff is extremely stigmatized, and there's a lot of shame surrounding mm-hmm. it. Um, and a lot of victim blaming so when we came in with this huge kind of western like Mm. yeah just speak out and you know do it on instagram i think it was i probably was coming from a lot more of a naive place Mm -hmm. um originally than i than i thought and actually there was a big backlash when we released the project because nothing like this had really been done on that scale before like women telling their stories directly to camera about their experiences and we released the whole thing on you know facebook instagram twitter youtube and it was a huge global campaign it was viewed by more than like 10 million people um so it was massive but there was also a massive backlash in sri lanka because a lot of men just hadn't seen anything like that before they called uh, you know all of the women paid actors actresses and they you know accused us as the whole thing as being you know feminist propaganda and I mean, the list goes on of all of the kind of like um, issues that we encountered when mm-hmm. we released it that I'm not going to lie, I definitely was naive to before mm-hmm. we started it, before going into it. But it was extremely eye-opening because it just, I mean, a lot of things, amazing things can, can happened from the campaign it inspired so many people to speak out and mm-hmm. it really started a um, national dialogue about the issue. But it also highlighted another issue of the online harassment that you can face from speaking out. And yeah. it kind of shows why the reporting is so low you know, the 4% of the population reporting any form of harassment. And it, it was very clear that in all of the women who we spoke to, you know, absolutely nobody felt that there was a safe place that they could report it to or that they would be listened to. Because mm. ultimately, if anyone, well, of the women that we did speak to, the ones that did, you know, speak out or kind of make a scene or whatever, tried to address the issue as it was happening... They were the ones who were told to leave the transportation. They were the ones who was were blamed. It was their right. fault. Um, so it's really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get taken seriously, to get the issue taken seriously, for it not to just be this whole kind of, you know, well, you were wearing that dress, or mm. it was because you were wearing makeup, or you shouldn't be traveling alone, or what did you think was going to happen if you took public transport? So yeah, it's yeah. a pretty hard mentality to shift. Mm. One thing I do like about this project, and I think is good in combating that is that you do give the story and the words to the affected person it's not like you're speaking for these people yeah true i I I forgot to answer your actual original question (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but i I think that like that's just the brilliant tool of the project and the way it's set up is that yeah it is that was always yeah that was always um like my intention Mm. when i started it i didn't want it to be i didn't want to have myself in the forefront of the project right being kind of like, you know, I'm going to be the woman to talk about this issue. I wanted to give the microphone to somebody else. Yeah. I wanted to, cre- I wanted to create just a platform and a space for women to confide and share their stories and stuff. And I wanted it to be their voices that carried the project. And I almost kind of wanted to hold a sort of curator position. Yeah, you know, being kind of. Um, yeah, yeah, almost like creating this like gallery of, of women and their stories. That's really interesting. And, and it kind of takes me to another question I've had, and you kind of answered it. But like, um, and this is kind of a shift, but when you're building a project like this, especially on a platform like Instagram, like mm-hmm. brand kind of does take a central focus and making a consistent look and feel. But that almost feels kind of like antithetical to the stories you're telling, right? Mm. So like is brand important to cheer up love getting a consistent like framework framing it kind of like a museum and a curation is is a really novel concept but how do you think through that yeah i mean i definitely um it definitely has a look for Mm -hmm. me i I shoot everything on film and i kind of pick the locations quite with like carefully i would say um all of the kind of uh, shots are quite considered. I've always kind of gone into it with a kind of um, like wanting the backgrounds and stuff to look like sets almost mm. that the women are kind of standing in. Um, and I 
tried to make it kind of like as colorful and as bright as possible. So when you are scrolling through it, you're not the your first thought isn't kind of like, well, oh, what is this kind of like miserable group of women all right. screaming on the internet? It's like, oh, these are bright, yeah. colorful photos. What's going on here? And then you, you're kind of there's a there's almost a conflict of the image you're seeing and then the story you're reading. Obviously, the women aren't smiling or frowning in particular in all of the photos. I've kind of tried to keep it very um not like deadpan but like what's it called like expressionist right. almost yeah, yeah, yeah. um um neutral that's the word mm -hmm. i try to keep it quite neutral um but the locations and colors are quite like vibrant and bright so there is a conflict of yeah the the kind of story you're reading and the and the, and the picture you're seeing but i think it kind of works yeah no it, that's really cool and like why film why why and even in like some of the short films you took in Sri Lanka, they're all they're on, on film. They're all on well, 16 millimeter image. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why that choice? Um, it's a confirmation of things. It's how I work anyway as a photographer. Mm. I'm, I'm just kind of in love with film. It's, right. it's, yeah. my, it's the, the medium. That's my my medium basically. Um, but there's also a kind of um, a way of it's being able to be in the moment, I suppose, mm. with the subject. And there's a kind of um, a consideration and there's just, I don't know, I just prefer working with film, really. Yeah, no, I mean, the yeah, the permanence of it as you're kind of filming and, you know, like you got this one shot. Yeah, the, yeah, it's basically like that. Like, you, you know, you only have a certain amount of, amount of shots. Mm -hmm. You have to be really kind of in the moment and right. really think about like, you know, what you want this shot to be and kind of and stuff. And it, it gives you you know, a lot of time to really focus on what you want the image to be. And yeah. I like that. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it looks good at the end of the day as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's that. <laughs> but also, you know, it's a process. I just really enjoy it. I like yeah. developing it and scanning it and yeah. editing it. It's, it's a nice process for me. So um, my next question is, what, what do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself like, what would you label yourself? An artist, an activist, an advocate? Of God, so many slashes. <laughs> yeah, what, what is like, what's like number one though? What would you jump to that doesn't just encompass chair love, but like you as an, an artist and an individual? I mean, I say I'm a photographer and an activist mm. because I don't consider myself any of the thing. I mean, ultimately, I suppose if you were going to really, you know, kind of umbrella term, I would say I'm an artist. Mm. If, it, if I was just speaking to someone who had no idea about anything, I would just say right. I'm an artist. I still suffer from this like weird imposter syndrome where I can't course, just be yeah. like, I'm a photographer because I didn't like study photography. Uh -huh. I was completely self-taught. Um, yes, it's my profession now and it's my career and I'm, I am a photographer, but I still definitely suffer from imposter syndrome right. where if I was just to be like, I am a photographer. I mean, I do say that obviously and I am, but I like to say I'm a photographer and an activist because it gives me more of a kind of, um it encompasses what i actually do more <laughs> right no no it, it totally makes sense yeah. yeah and and kind of on that vein um and this is kind of like broader theoretical talk but do you think that you as an artist and really any artist out there like has a obligation to be an activist in a way because a lot of art is you know speaking for things or people that aren't spoken for do you think that you are interlinked obviously they are linked for you but like mm. on a broader scale do you see them as like very intertwined i mean yeah it is interesting i think it is going that way a lot more these days with the like rise of instagram and other platforms mm. and stuff it being it making it easier to kind of speak to an audience yeah. and find a community um who will kind of you know share your views and your I guess the sentiments you're trying to portray through your art but I don't necessarily think there is like an obligation to mm. have to have to say something and to do something with your art um, because you know at the end of the day that's a lot that's that's people create for, for different reasons right. yeah um yeah. but for me I found that it gives me purpose right. and passion when what I do to have kind of something a driving force behind it and something that I am really um that affects my that my personal life and it's something that I'm really yeah passionate about do you think that like all of your projects going forward will be infused with this activist social movement 
infusion. I mean, that would be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was. I mean, I, ideally, it would be amazing to do things that have a kind of, um, yeah, that have like activism roots in it and have a kind of you're doing it for a greater, a greater good and a, mm. a cause and something that you're really you know passionate about. But you know. Also, beggars cannot be choosers, and yeah. I gotta make money. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, do you consider yourself a creative person? This is the question I like bring up every single time I interview people because mm-hmm. I always find people's like responses quite interesting. But do you consider yourself a creative or creative person? Um, yeah. General. Yeah. 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 Do, do you find that it infuses your your work? Do you, like when you approach a project, are you thinking about like how can I make this creative, or are you how do you how do you think about yeah definitely i mean everything the way i kind of approach any anything is mm. visually first and it always has been i've always kind of since day one have just come from everything from an artistic kind mm-hmm. of point of view it's the way that i can like map things out is just just to do it visually um so yeah i definitely say that i would approach any kind of project or anything with a kind of like oh, okay how can i make this look good yeah sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and you you mentioned earlier you studied illustration yeah illustration and graphic design right and does that feed into what you're doing today at all completely yeah 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 100 percent. i think the reason um i was even able to do cheer up love and, and make the project at all is because i studied a course which um, was really heavily focused on visual communication and being able to structure a brief and mm. do self-directed projects. And for my whole three years at uni, especially my last year, it was all about kind of self-directed um, projects. And you would kind of come up with uh, like an idea or something you wanted to do and convey and make, whether that was like a website or, you know, a book or a film. And then you kind of went about that in any way you wanted to do mm-hmm. so when I left and I started cheer up love I think just a few months after I left uni um I actually started it from a place of being of wanting to do something creative because I was I was working in a different field at that time I was doing um, I was working um in the art department for film and tv doing oh, set wow. design yeah and that was really amazing I really loved doing that but I was also kind of very much fulfilling someone else's creative vision and that was amazing but I kind of felt like I really wanted to do something for me I wanted to do something I want to have something on on the side that I'm passionate about as well so I yeah. can kind of get some creative fulfillment and then obviously the cheer up love thing happened and then those two things kind of collided and I was like right okay yeah this is what I'm gonna do um, and when I first even started doing it I didn't exactly I wasn't thinking that it was going to be well, what, what it is now. <laughs> I had no idea yeah. where, where it was going to go. I just knew I wanted to make this like, you know, website or collect these stories and, you know, make these, take these photographs and kind of see what it looked like. And then when I thought, when I started collecting a few, I was like, okay, this is what, I, this is what I'm going to do. And I structured a brief and I came up with really clear kind of, um, like guidelines almost for myself really, of, of yeah. what I wanted, um, of what my aims were and what were kind of the things that were key to the project and what things I knew I definitely didn't want it to be and all of these kind of things. Um, so yeah, my being able to have studied a visual communications course was like pretty, I think, crucial to yeah. how I structured my project. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you just approach it like that in the, in, in the first place, that's, that's really, that's cool. Um, how do you not burn out and I don't mean this not only from like a, you're dealing with sensitive issues and and really like harrowing stories, but also like you're going university to university, presumably giving the exact same pitch for the exact same project over and over and over again. How, how do you keep up the positivity? How do you keep up the energy? Um, do you see yourself moving on to another project? Let me keep it a one question. How, <laughs> how do you how do you keep it up? How do you not burn out? Um, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I, at the first, when I first started doing the campaign, um, I felt more of a burnout through, um, the kind of intensity of all of these stories and stuff that I was hearing when it comes to doing actual kind of like speaking and stuff and these kind of events. I mean, it's obviously can be exhausting because you're traveling all the time, but 
you know, at the end of the day, it's what it's my job and I love it. Like mm. I, I really, really enjoy it. I get a kick out of talking and speaking and, you know, I'm, yeah, I, it's, I really enjoy it. Um, but especially when I started the project and I started speaking to women and I started interviewing lots of women. And at one point I was interviewing a woman every single day, sometimes two women a day. And these people were strangers. So it was, it was quite exhausting. Yeah. Um, kind of, cause you were each shoot, you know, was an hour to two hours long and you were exerting a lot of kind of, um, like emotional energy, um, making, like my priority was always to make the women I'm photographing feel as comfortable as mm. possible um, and safe and oh, all of sure, these yeah. and in safe sharing their story not that just because you don't want to just be you know someone on the other side of the camera utilizing their trauma for a picture on mm. Instagram so my priority was always to kind of go into it making the women feel safe and comfortable and kind of making it like a fun as fun as I could as also because I wanted to keep it light yeah you know um, and I wanted to make it like a, a fun experience, like having your photo taken, not just like, you know, retelling a story and it all being sad. I wanted it to be yeah, positive. Yeah. So that was also a lot of energy. Um, and I'm naturally an energetic person and a talkative, like outgoing kind of um, on the extroverty side. So I sure. really enjoy meeting and talking to people. And that's kind of why I could do the project. But then I would find myself on the Sunday of a week being like, oh my God, why can't I speak? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I just suddenly just couldn't talk to my friends or my family and yeah. I had no energy and I was just suddenly like, oh, I just don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to like lock myself in my room and sleep. I'm so exhausted. And I realized I was like, I'm doing too much. Yeah. I really need to slow down because so I would get to a point where I'd be like, oh, I have a shoot tomorrow. And I would start, and I could feel that almost right. like resentment of, not resentment, but just kind of like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> you know, like um, just exhaustion really. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to burn out. I really enjoy this. I don't want it to like it to start being, um, a you know, a chore. Mm. You know, I want, I want this to be enjoyable and I want the people who I'm photographing and the stories that I'm sharing, I want them to be getting the most out of it as well. And I want, you know, so I had to really slow it down. Um, so I do one photograph a week now I, I try to at least right. um because otherwise it's just it's just too crazy and time consuming yeah. and emotionally draining i mean that's what <laughs> i keep going back to i i recently watched uh the mr rogers movie it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood i yeah. don't know if either of you have seen this but like one of the plot points is like you talk to these children and you take on all their problems. Like how do you keep such a cheery attitude day in and day out? Like you're an emotional sponge. Yeah. Yet you're, and I see that as similar to you, like that taking on all these stories, even just from like a cura curating point of view. Is, yeah. Yeah. You're having to read it every day, whereas other people could just scroll past it on Instagram. Totally, totally. And you do, I do kind of feel the weight of it sometimes when I have a full inbox mm, and yeah. I'm looking at my DMs and I've got lots of stories from women and, and I, I encourage it. I want people to send me their stories. I want to repost their stories and I always reply and I always repost. Um, but it will take me a few days sometimes because sometimes I just can, I can see the inbox and I just feel a bit kind of like, I don't have the emotional energy yeah. in this moment. So I will leave this to tomorrow afternoon and I will address it and I will, and I will repost it and but sometimes it, you know, it can be quite, um, yeah, of a, of an emotional toll. And sure, you know, the yeah. stories you're hearing sometimes they're not all stories of you know street harassment. They range from from everything. From I've I've, I've received really hard hitting stories of you know domestic abuse and, mm. and and rape and all forms of sexual assault. And so, um, and also I sometimes feel like you know maybe I am not the most qualified person to yeah, be hearing some yeah. of these stories. And I feel sometimes like, you know, I am not qualified therapist and I studied an art degree. Like what am I doing with right. this kind of thing? I feel like a responsibility almost to the people. Um, but I realized that people don't want to send their story to you for life advice. They don't want to kind of... Yeah you're not providing a service for them. They just want to share. Yeah. Like these people just want to share their stories. They just want to be listened to mm. and they want to feel like they have like a voice. Yeah. And obviously if people do send me like really um, tough and horrible stories, I automatically send them helplines and 
websites that they should visit and people that they should talk to because those people can are qualified to yeah. help a hundred percent um but when it comes to people sending in their stories of like sexual harassment and stuff i think they just want to share like yeah. they just want to be heard um and then i worry less about having a social responsibility yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, really interesting stuff. Um, we're going to take uh, a little bit of a break. Um, typically, when we take a break, we ask our guests for a song recommendation um, to kind of fill that time. Do you have a song for us to put on um, and why? Um, okay, let's put on Robin Indestructible because, you know, it's Women's History Month and she's an amazing woman. All right, this is uh, Indestructible by Robin. Uh, let's give it a listen and then we'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome back to Thank the Maker. That was Robin with Indestructible. Just to kind of move along uh, with the questioning, um, what what is next for you? Do you see yourself working on Cheer Up Love for the foreseeable future? Is is like this the be all end all project for you, or do you have goals that are beyond it? Um, I, I reckon it's kind of a difficult decision because you are pr- providing a service in a way you're, you're providing a public social service, mm. but you obviously you have your creative potential and your goals. Well, yeah. What, what is the future like for, look like for Eliza? I think it's a, it's going to be like a work-life balance of continuing cheer up love. Mm. I, it's going to be cheer up love is going to be an ongoing thing and a platform, which I have no intention of stopping anytime soon. Um, 
I take it to different countries all around the world, so I'm planning on to continue doing that. It's been to uh, Mexico, Sri Lanka, Tokyo, New York. I've actually moved to New York now. Um, that's the kind of next stage in in my life, in my uh, professional life, my photography, cheer up love, um, my partnership with the United Nations, mm-hmm. all of those things. So yeah, it's basically continuing cheer up love, working with um, like collaborating with other people and projects and campaigns that I feel passionate about that come up along the way. And yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to collab, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> and you are in New York right now. Yes. How did that come about? Is this a part of Cheer Up Love? Because I, I noticed, obviously, your photos have transitioned from UK to Sri Lanka and now they're in New York. Yes. Um, is this part of the project? Is this a creative decision, career decision for you? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a career decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to move. And when I started Cheer Up Love and it started getting press and stuff, and I started to kind of get more um, like freelance photography work off the back of that, it gave me it's given me the really like amazing opportunity to work with some really great brands like yeah. you know Apple, Ted X, Girls Talk, you know all these um, BBC, you know lots of lots of people. So I kind of thought that maybe that would be. A good opportunity to see if I could apply for an artist visa. Yeah. Um, because I just, yeah, I really want to pursue my uh, photography and just creative general life career right. uh, in New York. So I applied for an artist visa a year ago and I got it, which Amazing. was very surprising yeah. um, and felt like quite a big achievement actually yeah, in the current yeah. state of things. Getting a visa to, to America is, is like. Yeah, I just I didn't think it was going to happen, especially with the yeah, the government. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, and I was like, okay, well, let's got got to do it then. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll just move. Didn't really have like a plan, or you know, I'm a freelancer, so I didn't have like a contracted mm-hmm. job I was moving to or anything. I just kind of um, making it up as I go along, really. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I had to have like a very structured visa with lots of clients and projects and everything yeah. but oh, a lot of it is just making it up as you go along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um what's what's it been like for you to live in new york because it is new york's london is obviously a creative hub but new mm-hmm. york is new york what what's the difference day-to-day like ha, is has it been a good career decision so far how long have you been there i moved in september okay so, so not it's too long. Not too long. Yeah. I guess like almost six months. Okay. I think. It's about that's about how long I've been here in London as well. So Yeah, so I think it's been about six months. And I'm not gonna lie, like the first three months was definitely me just getting set up on the yeah. ground over there because um like so much life admin. Right. <laughs> yeah, the first three months were definitely just like life admin slash Moving how countries am I, is kind how of stressful how thing, Am I yeah. gonna survive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, a lot a lot of it has just been like the bare bones of like how am I gonna pay my rent? Right. <laughs> Which has been fine for me so far. I have just kind of been like, I'm just gonna survive mm. and that will be great. Um I've been doing lots of different like collaborations and like personal projects and cheer up love things and um I've basically just been trying to grow my network out yeah. there of people that I can work with in the future. And a lot of that has been doing lots of like collaborations with brands and swaps and um, just like reaching out to people on Instagram and being yeah. like, do you want to work together on a project? And do you want to shoot some stuff? And like reaching out to like fashion companies and all of this kind of stuff and like going to exhibitions and just, you know, networking my ass off yeah. basically. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a lot of that. Cool. And I, I'm curious, and if you don't want to talk about this, you don't have to talk about this. Um, but like, how, how do you generate income as a photojournalist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I don't even know where to start if I were to choose that career path. What, yeah. Are you doing mostly freelance projects? Go well, ahead. obviously, Cheer Up Love is completely non-profit. Yeah. It's not anything, like I've, I've never made money from it, apart from... Um, doing talks yeah. like that's the only way I really generate money from it I have a GoFundMe which if anyone wants to check out they are more than welcome <laughs> um I have a GoFundMe but like it's it's you can't really profit off people's trauma so it's yeah. not really like oh get your photo taken for 50 pounds right um it's it's always been a kind of like non-profit thing so I get I make my income from doing public speaking doing freelance um photography yeah just you know 
like commercial commercial stuff, editorial stuff, um, and my part time job, which is very useful. If I didn't have my part time <laughs> job, I would probably have to move back in with my parents. Yeah. Um, and set design again. I'm doing yeah. some of that. I mean, I've just I have like four jobs. Amazing. So yeah. it's not just one. <laughs> There's no sort of like sole kind of thing that's giving me all my income. It's like tiny bits from everywhere right right which i think is this the any freelancer creative in the in this like world is, is, is you yeah know. that's great that's crazy to me that like you've been on this artistic journey and like now a large portion of your your income is through public speaking like mm. that's such a that's such an interesting yeah, a lot, lot of most of my income i would say yeah um but also it changes like month to month right like for this month I'm making my rent through public speaking. Yeah. Through the next month, I will make it through my part-time job. For the next month, I'll make it through one photography gig. It's just like every week, every month is completely different. And which yeah. some people that would drive them insane and they would have a nervous breakdown, just like the mere thought of like not knowing when your next paycheck's going to come. Right, from. yeah. And I would be lying <laughs> if I said that it wasn't stressful at times. Oh, for sure. I know. But I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it... Obviously, you're doing what you're doing, but do you ever think about like other career paths that like may have been more secure or something that you may have been interested in? Yeah, what what when you were kind of at uh, A levels? I'm trying to think through. The yeah, system, yeah. But like, what were you deciding between? I uh, honestly in terms of future have no idea. Yeah, I don't know what I would. I even when I was at university, I didn't know what I was going to be yeah. or do. I just. There was never a time where I was like, okay, I could either be an artist or I could be a vet. Uh-huh. Or like, I'll either, <laughs> you know, I will do painting or if this all goes tits up, I'll just do a law conversion and uh-huh. go into law. Like, I, there was never a backup plan for yeah, me. It's yeah. always been something creative. Right. I, you know, there was, even now, if everyone was like, if you just lost everything now and everything, cheer up, bluff, went tits up and, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. everything just completely collapsed, what would you do? And be like, um, it's probably something else not very lucrative and creative. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super interesting. I So I, for a little back, bit of background on myself, I study global media interest, mm-hmm. industries here. And so we, a lot of what we talk about is like the precariousness of artists and people in the creative field. And so it's always interesting to talk to case studies, if you will, yeah. about like what that life is like. And it's like stressful and hard but at the same time, this other message always comes through is like, I can't do anything else. I, I would can't never, see myself yeah, do anything yeah, else. It's yeah, true. It's so true. yeah, super, super cool and interesting. Um, this is a really big question. How do you define art? I'm always interested in people's definitions of like what art is and isn't. Um, some people consider all design art. Some people consider, you know, only things that express something art. What, what is art to you? think on it for a second if you need to (laughs) that's quite a big question it's just it's confusing you go to the wikipedia article on art and it's like visual audio performance it like categorizes it yeah i guess art is just like anything the maker chooses to be art interesting it's like creating something to be viewed as art you could argue that just by creating something and being like this is to be viewed as art yeah then that's what that is. Yeah, I, and that <laughs> that answer comes up time and time again. I think it's a super compelling answer. But like, basically, if you call something art, it is art. Um, or I say, or, I mean, I obviously it's like there are varying degrees of it. Yeah, sure. Of what people of what can be um, viewed as art. But when it comes from a maker, I think anything can be art. But like mm-hmm. for me personally, when I see something, I will be like, okay. Well, you may think that's art, but I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, where, where is the line for you? Because wh- one thing that I talk about a lot is I, I think like game design, like just starting at like chess mm-hmm. all the way up to like video games. I think that's a very artistic venture because, you know, the maker is making choices about how the game progresses and like what kind of feelings you experience from playing. Yeah, that's and, oh, interesting. I've had so many people challenge me on that. and Yeah, because then I would, because then you could say that like obviously anything you create is art. So like, you know, I designed this water bottle, that is art. Yeah. Or like I've made this game, that is art. Or like I wrote this piece, that is art. And then, but then some people would say like, oh, well, like a book, like that is mm. art. Whereas like a, a 
an astral essay or like right. a, you know a, an article for a newspaper like that's not that's just like journalism yeah. or something and they're yeah. like well where is the line i think the line is just really like how you perceive something to be viewed mm-hmm. which sounds really wanky but <laughs> i it's kind of what art is so that's what it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's difficult and like there's this discourse of people referring to like super skilled craftsmanship as art as well and yeah it's it's all over the place but i i'm always yeah i guess it's, it's, it's the setting isn't it yeah that it's put in you could just if you made a lovely pot and you put it in someone's kitchen and it was used every single day it probably wouldn't be viewed as as art you'd yeah. think like oh that's a nice pot but it had a different use whereas if you put it in a gallery <clears> space <throat> and everybody looked at it, you'd be yeah. like well, this is what this is wow. for. This is to yeah. be looked at. This isn't to be used. That's art. Yeah. So I guess it's the use. It's the setting. It's the intention. There's lots of factors. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 interesting. I could talk about it for days. Yeah. Um, Never-ending conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was um, the question raised by the banana with tape. It, yeah. the, I don't remember. I think it was getting people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That was. They were like. It gets people riled up. Yeah. But I think that's like the point, though. With yeah. the banana thing, especially. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He commented. The creator commented on that, and <laughs> he was like putting it in perspective with the other works of of the artist, and he's actually always doing things oh, of yeah, that. Yeah. Of that, yeah. yeah. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Um. So just kind of going back to you and the trajectory of Cheer Up Love. Um. What is? Do you see yourself doing another like? A broad project kind of like Sri Lanka I saw mention I didn't get time to research but you, you have you been to Japan for the project as yes well? I've taken the project to Japan and recently to Mexico okay wow Mexico. That was the last place that I went to which was really really interesting um and then yeah obviously New York and Sri Lanka but ideally yes I would like to yeah go to another country with a project um I would like to that might be an option with my um, partnership with the United Nations. Yeah. Um, there may be opportunity for that this year, but Amazing. at this moment, yeah. What, what's been your, because you've listed off like quite a number of huge names that you've worked with. What's been your favorite kind of partnership or, or uh, place or company or person that you've met or worked with? Mm. So obviously the United Nations partnership was by far one of the most kind of like overwhelming. That's amazing. How old are you? Sorry to interject. Um, I'm 25. 25. That's a lot to accomplish by 25. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I never really um, have, I feel like I haven't really had time to kind of even digest what's yeah. happened in the past three years. But yeah, I would say the United Nations partnership was was obviously the most like overwhelming Bonkers. and, and yeah. crazy and um, like, wow. Yeah, that, that, that was that was amazing. Um, but then like other people I've worked with was really fun. So I worked with Gina Martin who did the, um, upskirting law and mm, worked mm-hmm. on a project together. Um, that was really amazing. Um, who else have I worked, worked with? I find my mind's like going blank, but basically through Cheer Up Love, mm-hmm. I've been able to kind of work with brands like, uh, like Apple and Nike. Yeah. And I did a really cool project with Adobe last year where they approached me about kind of diversifying their Adobe stock oh. um, website. Yeah. Website? No, ga- so like gallery. There's stock images that they're they stock have? images. Wow, so, super interesting. Yeah, so yeah. it's like Getty images, um, for those kind of stock image galleries. Um, but Adobe, who they're, they're like a, a soft, they're like a kind of design software company, right. if anyone doesn't know. Um, they have their own stock gallery and they wanted to do a project to coincide with the Women's FIFA World Cup about um, kind of getting more diverse stock images of women um, into like the sport kind of galleries. Because when you type in like footballer or whatever tennis player, it's predominantly a lot of like white men pop up um, on the image searches of the galleries. So we did a project together where I photographed um, women working in the football... um, uh, sector, mm-hmm. whether that was like you know radio presenters or trainers or footballers themselves, um, and I kind of photographed them. I collaborated with another photographer actually. Um, we took two different sets of images. I, I worked with um, Milo Belgrove. He took his own photos and did a kind of um, 
project through like the male gaze and I did it through sort of like mm. the female gaze and then we kind of you know um, put all of our photos on the Adobe uh, stock gallery yeah. and that was a really cool project that, that's super neat yeah yeah and I was approached for that because of um, obviously like my background with mm. Cheer Up Love and like kind of uh, photography through the gaze of like women's rights right. and all of that kind of stuff so it was um, a really good partnership on that yeah that's that's super cool and like I feel like for a lot of artists the kind of question is you, you've got your your artistic goals but you've also got to pay the bills and find commercial partnerships to work with and that's like yeah. a really cool cross-section that was like the ideal yeah. project I was kind of like what's going on yeah <laughs> um, when that came when that came my way I was like more of these please yeah right it was really really um something i was like really passionate about which was you know like diversity and women's rights and photography and like all of these things all coming together um and it being around like the women's fifa world cup as well so that was like a really exciting thing to yeah. do amazing um well i have like two questions left for you one's a really really big one and i'm just kind of curious what your answer is um how do we, and it, and it kind of brings it full circle, goes back to sexual harassment, but how do we solve sexual harassment as a society? What what do we need to do in order to put a stop to it and end it? Will it ever end? Um, big, Yeah, big question. Yeah, big I question. I mean, I hope it ends. <laughs> I'm not sure if it will completely end in my lifetime, but if, I, mm. if there can be like just a dent made and how often and... Um, how often in every day that it is experienced and that would be a plus um i think it comes down to kind of implementing education from a really young age going like speaking to young um boys and girls yeah about um kind of like gender equality and and, and like sexuality and sex education and all of these kind of things that do need to be introduced and spoken about from a really young age to kind of um combat the like views that we've had for like centuries about mm. kind of gender stereotypes and um objectification of like the female body and all of these kind of things and that really does have to be introduced at like a really young age um just to like get the conversation going so i think it comes down to education i think it comes down to like um reporting and having structures in place that are going to support women there's a really good um law i mean um campaign at the moment by um our streets now which is to make street harassment illegal mm. um which has also been um a law that's, that's changed in many countries in the eu um i'm pretty sure france and amsterdam have a um a law to make which is already in place for making for i'm losing my words no, <laughs> for <okay>. street harassment <laughs> to be illegal um and that's already um had loads of kind of um convictions and it's yeah. been it's, it's been really um really amazing and so i think that would be really good here too so to make street harassment illegal just to have a mild deterrent anyway for people to do i mean lots of people say well how will it be implemented or like you know um isn't it just going to be like how is it going to be police and all of these kind of things how have those other countries implemented it because i'm curious because yeah do you know i'm not exactly sure how they've implemented it to be perfectly honest. Right, because does it it's, does it start, my question is, does it start with like verbal or does it have to be physical or like is there a line? Um, yeah, because it, it's really curious to me how, how you do enforce that. It's actually a fine. I yeah, mean, in, in France, it's a fine ah. and it can be any, it can be verbal as well. Yeah. But the difficulty of it is to having agents that can catch it in right. the moment, which never happens essentially. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's very effective at the moment the way it, yeah yeah it but is having it in writing is such a huge step in it's it's stuff. amazing yeah. and we have like a whole campaign in, in yeah. public transports and i'm not sure how effective it has been but it has definitely raised awareness so that's that's always, always yeah. great i mean if anything just to kind of like reinforce the message that it shouldn't be happening yeah, is sure. a good start yeah. Yeah. to kind of like keep going as you're going where it's like totally fine and legal and no repercussions whatsoever mm-hmm gives the impression that you're just like allowing for it right to it's permitted yeah that it's permitted yeah. um you know if if you know throwing chewing gum on the floor is illegal then why is it not illegal for someone to you know slap your bum when yeah. you're getting on the tube you know like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well that it's amazing that progress is being made and yeah uh hopefully it reaches more places sooner rather than later I hope so um but yeah my, my last question for you and i asked 
every guest this as well, is uh, I like to ask people for a recommendation of a book, of a film, of a song, not all those things, but just one thing. Um, what, what have you been enjoying lately or what would you like to recommend uh, to mm. audience members? Um, I've just finished a really good book called uh-huh. Invisible Women, Invisible which Women. is all about the um, gender um, data gap, which is really, really interesting. So Invisible Women, I recommend that book. And also, I mean, everyone's probably already seen this, but the Sex Education yes, Series yes, 2 yes. so good. I mean, it Series 1 series yeah. was amazing, but Series 2 is also kind of like, yes, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So work. Yeah. So good. I, <laughs> I, I watched that a few weeks back and I was blown away by the cinematography, by the set design, by the scripts. It was such a quality production, and not to mention the messages that it yeah. puts out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really, I can't recommend it highly enough as well. Really good stuff. Cool. Definitely. definitely. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Mm. Uh, we've enjoyed having you, enjoyed uh, conversing with you. It's been really interesting to kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at what uh, being a photojournalist means and, and looks like. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It's yeah, been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah.